Have you ever struggled with the ways of God? Struggled with God? I know we struggle with things around us, things that happen, things that are going on in us, family, financial. I mean, we have a lot of things that we struggle with. But have you struggled with God himself? And in this story, we're going to see Moses, the man of God, the servant of God, the one who knew him face to face, that God says, I speak to him as a friend. The greatest leader in all of the Old Testament, struggling with God. And I would say that struggling with God is normal. It's normal. Sometimes a little bit scary, a little unnerving when you go through that. But it is the way we grow in our faith. As we read this morning through the scripture, we, we read really a second time Moses strikes the rock and gets water out of it. If you remember back in Exodus 17, a similar type of story, but this is different. You can imagine what it's like if we put ourselves back in that time to see that they have just turned back from the promised land. They're, they're at the threshold, ready to walk in the door, possess all that God has promised, and yet now they turn back around because of a lack of faith and disobedience to God, and they will spend the next 40 years in the wilderness. So you can imagine that the, the spirit is not real good with the people, and Moses is probably a bit frustrated when they start complaining again. It's almost the, the, the fourth or fifth or sixth verse of the same song of complaint. Wish we would have died in Egypt. Wish you would have left us there. Wish we could go back to there. We need a new leader. And... This is his response, is he takes his staff, which symbolizes the authority of God, and strikes the rock. He asks him the question, you know, you, you know do you want us to, to provide this? And he says, we, which is unusual, and he strikes the rock. Water comes out, and they drink. You think, well, end of story. Again, God performs another miracle, but something is different in this situation, God had told him to speak to the rock, not to strike it. There's a reason for that. And so Moses, in his anger, strikes the rock, the water comes forward, they drink. And then God says, you failed to obey me, and you will not enter into the promised land. You go, Wow. That is pretty severe. And to the best guy in the crowd, doesn't make sense. And you know that Moses will struggle through this whole encounter in the years to come, and yet God is working in unique and powerful ways in his life. The same way when you don't understand the ways of God in your life, that God is at work. So this morning, we're going to look at verses 3 to 13 of Numbers 20. and I've broken it down into how we struggle with the ways of God. 
in tendencies, in evidences, and in consequences. So what about the tendencies? What are your natural or normal tendencies? We have a bent, we, we see in scripture a bent to sin. Our natural tendency is to sin. You say, even Moses, even Moses. And we see it right here. In reading the text in verse 10, it says, And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we, you know, I'm thinking we, is he speaking of Aaron or with God and all of them? But God's actually the one that does it. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff, not once, he struck it twice. He struck it twice. These are all significant points. You see, even Moses had, has a tendency to sin. He is a bent to do evil. It's, it's within us. We're born with that leaning. And in particular, you'd say, with his anger. Now, now would you describe Moses as an angry man? Now, if you read this, you say, well, he, he kind of had a temper problem. And yet, we read back in Numbers 12 and verse 3, he was called the meekest man on the face of the earth. What does it mean to be meek? Well, that means really that you're not reactive. You're, you have strength, but it's brought under control. So... Quite a contrast when you go from Numbers 12, 3, and you look back here in chapter 20, and you see that he has an anger problem, at least here. And yet, if you look it through his life, you say, well, he may be described as the meekest man on the face of the earth, calm and patient and kind and just steady. You can see that, but yet there are probably three defining moments that I think of Immediately, one was the Egyptian way back 40 years earlier when he slew an Egyptian and buried him in the sand. And he did that out of anger. The second time was casting down the Ten Commandments. You remember he brings down the, the tablets and they're worshiping the, the golden calf and he in his anger throws them down. You say, well, you could justify all of these things. Even justify this now. The third time when he strikes the rock twice. And I think that, and, and we're pretty good at justifying what we do, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, I am. I'm very creative in thinking of excuses of why I do certain things. Well, if you just understand these people, or you understand these Egyptians, and yet... You could argue that um, Moses did have a, a problem, a tendency. You know, some of this gets formed, we say, by, by nature, um, how we're born. We're born with a certain personality, a certain wiring. We, we all have that. You see that with your kids. You know, right, right out of the womb, a lot of times you say, That's, you can see the difference in personalities and tendencies with them. And then we say nurture, how they're nurtured, how they're brought along. So I'm sure this is true with Moses. But our temptations that we struggle with, um, 
in many ways, in many times, are unique. Now, we're tempted to sin generally. We have certain things we all struggle with. The Bible says the, the tongue, you know, what we say, um, whoever doesn't struggle, that's the same as a perfect man. But we have unique struggles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and later on when we have Lord's Supper, I'm going to be turning there because that, it, it describes a lot of these events. And it says in verse 11, now these things happen to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. <laughs> so you think, you know what, I'm doing well. Make us man on the face of the earth. <laughs> you know, this is my strength. I'm patient. I don't get angry. I don't have a temper. Kaboom. So for any of us, Here's a warning. When you think you're doing just fine, or you're okay, or you don't have a problem, be careful. And it goes on to say, no temptation has taken you except what is common to man. In other words, as I said earlier, we all struggle with it. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above your ability, but will with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So, if we were to say, what was, if you pick out the time with Moses, what was his challenge? His anger. And yet, most of his life it wasn't. But that was probably the thing that he would put his head down and go, Lord, not again. Why do I have to struggle with this? Each one of us have unique struggles. You could say, you know what? I'm really disciplined in my life. I'm a very disciplined person, except this one little area. And that one little area drive you crazy. You know what? I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. I, I'm really strong here, but this, this little area. And you kind of wonder, what is for you that area? What, what for you just really gets you. You know, we could brag a little bit and say, you know what, I don't do drugs. I don't have a problem with alcohol. I don't do gambling. And you know what, I could tell you a lot of things I don't do. But folks, I struggle in my life. I struggle in my life and you know it's like the same things that get you will get you again and again and again and then it can tend to defeat you you know it would be real easy to be a Pharisee and say I can't believe what people are doing down there downtown you go into Boulder you see what they're doing down there you go downtown Denver see what they're doing did you read in the, in the paper and see on the news what people I can't believe they're doing that well they probably say the same thing about you if they knew you. Because they don't struggle with it. They think, where's your discipline? Good grief. Can't you control yourself? It's very humbling. It's very humbling. And I think that it, but we need to take a, a close look at this because otherwise we can tend to be very pharisaical in judging everybody else and not seeing our own struggles 
or we can get really, really discouraged. We can get really, really discouraged. Feel like, you know what, what's, what's even the use fighting what I struggle with? So I know every one of you, and I don't know what you struggle with, unless you tell me, or, or unless you blow up and get angry at me. <laughs> you may not know what I struggle with, but it's there, and it's real. And it's true with every single one of us. And even the most godly man in our story. Is he thinking, of all the people, three million, two to three million people, and if you pick one who is the example, he loses his cool. And so much to the point that God's penalty is that he doesn't go into the promised land. Why? <laughs> this is... This is Sometimes you say, Lord, why do I have to struggle with this? Can't it be something else? If you give me something else, I could deal with that. But this is like the, the Achilles heel, the besetting sin. It is, it is what just constantly gets me. So why? And I think that, uh, and, and, and quickly, I've been through these things before, but I think that I, I have to freshly in my own heart go through them again. What's God doing? One, he's moving you to Christ. This whole story is moving you to Christ. Because he is the, the means, he, he is the power, he is the end of all things. And with, with Christ, nothing has meaning. And so, just so you don't get overly confident and feeling like, you know what, I've really got life under control... It's like Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 12, he was, he was given to me. It's like a gift, a thorn in the flesh. That, not a, I don't like those kind of gifts. <laughs> it was given to me, this thorn. So he's moving us to Christ. Two, he's developing you in your faith because you can't, you can't live without him. This challenge, this problem that you're going through, so he moves you to Christ, he develops your faith, and he equips you to help others. You ever have someone say to you, oh, I understand, I understand, and you know they don't understand. And they want to give you advice. You want to hear it? No, but when you know someone who does understand, you have seen them feel the pain, you have seen them go through it, You listen to them. This is part, it's not all about you. This isn't all about you. And typically when I get into my pity party of why, 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 I'm thinking all about myself. Do you know how many other people have the same kinds of problems I have? And if I would get out of my pity party and look around, there is someone who I could encourage because I've gone through this. You know, I, 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 I thought many times, you know, if I could just take what I learned in seminary and tell everybody how to live, it would be great. But the most effective help I've been to people has not been what I learned in seminary. It gives me ground for it, but it's been the experience and not of success, but of pain and loss and sorrow and difficulty and struggle. 
It doesn't make it this more or less true, but it, it helps me help them as I have worked through that. To move us to Christ, to develop our faith, to equip us to help others, and to keep us longing for heaven. I don't think there's going to be anybody angry in heaven. Moses won't be angry in heaven. We won't be angry in heaven. Of all the besetting sins, we'll not be in heaven. <laughs> and I think it's a very healthy thing to keep that forward look. Looking ahead to him. So we struggle with our tendencies. We have that bent. And I don't know if this is good news or bad news. One, the good news is the Lord's with you. But, folks, we're going to struggle till the, the day we see him. But I don't want to struggle with this. Can I, can I choose something else? You didn't get to choose. Moses could have said, I wish I could have struggled with this because I could handle that. Well, <laughs> that's not what God has. So we struggle with God over our tendencies. Moses did too. Secondly, we struggle with evidences, the ways of God. How do you know God is good? How do you know God is at work? How do you know God just answered prayer? How do you know God is blessing you? How do you feel or sense his approval? <laughs> I'll tell you, we got water out of the rock, didn't we? Success. And who drank? Two to three million people drank the water. High five. But you see, the way God sees success and the way the rest of the world sees success is very, very different. What's the evidence that you're doing the right thing? Because I think if we misinterpret that, we can either become very disillusioned with God or very, very discouraged. In verse 11, it says, And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. Boom, boom. And water came out abundantly. <laughs> Not only did God bless me, he blessed me abundantly. And everybody else got blessed. Well, that'd make a good TV program. How do you see success? How do we know God's blessing you? Well, I'll tell you, if we're not careful, we will interpret God's blessing just the way the culture does. See, the world, the culture will tell you, if God is blessing you, you will be most popular, you will have the most followers, you will have more money and stuff, you will be better looking, you will have better health and fitness, and you will visibly accomplish more. So, you know, everybody knows that, but that's true, isn't it? I'm popular, I got followers, I have a lot of money and things, good looking, I've accomplished a lot, good health, fitness, what a life. And you know what? We can listen to someone tell that kind of story and envy them. I do. I find myself, knowing everything I know here, I still feel a bit of envy. Nice life. See, pagans, who God does not fit into their mix, measure 
if something bad happens to you, you did something wrong. If something good happens to you, you did something right. Now, pagans and jungles and foreign islands think that way. In fact, they, they believe this. If like, like your, your child gets sick and dies, they see you as having a curse on you and stay away from you because you're cursed. That was punishment. But if you have a son that is very successful in life, Oh, we want to hang around you because you're really good. You've done things right. And we know that those may not have anything to do with each other. I read in John chapter 9. It's a great story. And um, you read it about a man who's blind. And, and they, they ask the question, why is he blind? Was, was it his sin or his parents' sin? So this was, this was in Jesus' time. That's how they would figure. You know, who, somebody sinned. Okay, this, this kid is blind. Somebody did something. Okay, we're going to find out who they are, and we're going to cut them off. And Jesus said, neither. It's not him. It's not his parents. But that the works of God might be manifest. That the works of God might be manifest. There's a different reason than that. So, what is, what is success if you have it all? Or, so many that have gone through the Christian life and history, believers in God, have had none of those things. They haven't po had popularity, haven't had followers, haven't had money or things, not the best looking, don't have better health, and don't visibly accomplish more, and no monuments were made on their behalf. And yet God was pleased. No fame, no fortune, no following, no earthly wealth, no physical beauty, no record of great accomplishment, no monuments in their honor. And so we do read in Hebrews 11 and verse 35, what life was like for some who were successful. Okay? Success, accomplishment, evidence of God's blessing. They were tortured. They suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commanded through their faith, commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Success. Oh, I don't know if I like that one. None of us would. In our flesh. And it says, since God had provided something better for us. What is it? Eternity. That doesn't mean that we can't experience some of these blessings in life. But that's not the definition of success. Your health or your wealth or your fame. That's not the definition of success. 
They may not have succeeded immediately, but they did su succeed ultimately. And that is, that is how we live. We look forward to that. So what are the evidences of true success? Well, simply stated, God's pleased. God's pleased. The evidence of true success is whether or not God's pleased. And how are you going to know that? By what he says. By living by faith, Hebrews 11.6, walking in obedience, Micah 6.8, love for God, love for others, those are the things that define success. And so how do we pursue that? And I, lo I love this passage in Hebrews. It, it just follows. Right after you have these people sawn into, you know, they're, they're stoned, they're, they're, you know, they're tortured. And he, and he says, in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it's like you're, you're in the stadium, and the whole stadium is filled with witnesses that attest to this fact that success looks like this. And we're surrounded by these witnesses. It says, let, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. See, there's a picture. On the cross, Jesus on the cross, picture that, has joy set before him. And because he had joy set before him, pleasing his father, knowing he would be with his father, knowing he would save the world, that joy helped him endure. It helped him endure. In verse 3 it says, Consider him, consider Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you do not become weary or faint-hearted. You know, we struggle when we're on the cross. We struggle when we're suffering. We're, we struggle when we're sinning. You know, I think another picture, you, know, you talk about the arena, another beautiful picture is in John 15. And uh, when we got to visit Reed and Heather and the kids um, out there in California, you got just, just square miles of vineyards. And um, miles and miles of vineyards. And you know, I've always been fascinated by this because of the picture in John 15. And, and, and Jesus said when, you go, when the gardener goes in and, and he, he begins to care for the vine, he will cut away dead branches. He'll remove the dead branches. And that makes sense. You know, cut them off, throw them away. You burn them in the fire. You know, you, you clear it all up. And you could picture maybe Israel like that. They don't believe. They're not believers. They don't trust in God. They're not, they're not, they don't see it. They refuse God. And then it says, he prunes those branches that are bearing fruit. So in other words, if you are bearing fruit, evidence of fruitfulness, <laughs> you're doing really, if you're doing great, what's God gonna do? He's gonna prune you. 
Well, if you're not careful, you get those confused. Is God pruning you or punishing you? I think God doesn't punish his children. But he prunes you, and he says, so that you will bear more fruit. So when you cut back the branch that is bearing fruit, you cut it back, it's no fun, it will bear more fruit. And this is what he's doing. He's at work constantly so that we might bear more fruit. So we struggle with our tendencies to sin. We struggle with our evidences, what is success? And we struggle with the consequences of what we do. As much as I try not to do this, I think, if I do this, this, and this, then this is going to happen. If God notice this, look what I did here, here, and here. This is what's going to happen. But we struggle with that. And the Lord said to Moses in verse 12, because you did not believe me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Well, you say, well, why did God punish him? I think several things. One, he, dis just, he disobeyed God. When you disobey God or go against his word or what he teaches, life is not going to go well for you. But secondly, he destroyed a type. You remember back in the first time he did this, he, he, God said, strike the rock once. And the rock is a picture of Christ. All the way back in the Old Testament, we see that 1 Corinthians 10.4, it says that rock was Christ. How many times was Christ to be crucified? Once. Once for all. And after that, never again. And not only does he do it again, he hits the rock twice. So as a leader, as a spiritual leader and a guide, not only are you disobeying God, you are destroying a type, a picture of redemption. So they had the Old Testament sacrifices with lambs and so forth, but this is what he does. And it's what he communicates. And, 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 you know, it's real easy to read through this and think of all the things that people in Israel did. Is this really fair? Is this really fair? Have you ever wondered if God's being fair to you or fair to someone else? It just doesn't seem like justice. And we struggle with God. Because people that do bad things ought to really suffer. And people that do good things ought to really be rewarded. I mean, we can't help but think that way. But the Lord doesn't always function in that way. Of course, Moses is not innocent. You know, because, hey, I, I know I'm not perfect, but, <laughs> you know, so Moses did sin. But in comparison, I mean, in comparison, you say that's not really fair. And there's a real danger in comparing. You know, the last chapter in John, or in John 20 and 21, we read the story about Peter having this conversation with Jesus and Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you're going to be carried where you do not want to go. And, and he's predicting a crucifixion for Peter. Peter knows that. And a number of years later, he is crucified upside down. 
for his crimes against the Roman Empire. And so he's saying, Peter, you're going to die. And you imagine Peter, and John's next to him, he said, what about him? And John, of course, lived until in, into his 90s. I mean, he, he was the only one who wasn't martyred. Out of the 12, and of course, Judas killed himself, but, but the other 10 were martyred. Not John. And, and so he says, what about him? And Jesus says, what is it to you if he lives a long life? He said, you follow me. You follow me. So we come back to that uniquely, uniquely you. Uniquely what you struggle with. Uniquely the evidence that God will produce through your life. Uniquely the consequences for your own behavior and sins that God will shape into your life to make you into what you are promised to be. God is doing much more than we realize and for much longer than we realize. We have to learn to trust him. Now I know as I read this, God knows everything. He knows everything. He knows everything. And he's here. And he has the ability to do anything. And he loves you more than you'll ever comprehend. More than all of the people of the world put together. That's how he loves you. And he's sovereign. He is working everything. Everything he's working for your good and his glory. Now, I believe that, but it gets tested here. And I struggle with the ways of God. I struggle with my tendencies. Lord, why do I have to fall back and, and do that again? I struggle with evidences, wanting myself to be successful like the world is successful. I feel that pull. I feel that struggle with consequences that I don't feel are just or fair. And I can, if I'm not careful, become disillusioned with God or incredibly discouraged. Later we read in 1 Corinthians 10, Jesus talking, uh, is recording him talking to his disciples about the supper that they're to have. To remember him. To remember him and what he has done. As I prepared going through this message this last week, it really exposed in a kind of a raw way some of my own struggles with God. Because it, I expect certain things. I expect it to go a certain way. I expect certain results. I expect him to answer certain prayers. And if he doesn't, do it my way. I can get cynical, or I can really get discouraged. So I think, as we read in 1 Corinthians 10, he's written this to us as an example. So at the end of Moses' life, you know where he died? I'll ask Scott because he was just over in Israel. Mount Ebal. All alone, by himself. Forty years later, Joshua is leading everyone across the Jordan River to possess the promised land, and Moses doesn't get to go. 
We can feel sorry for him, but, but it says that um, he passed away and no one found his body. <laughs> it's a better thing. It's a better thing, wasn't it? Because really the promised land is nothing compared to the promised land that we receive. And that's just keeping that eternal perspective. But all these things, just as he's worked in Moses' life, he wants to work in yours. So don't let yourself become disillusioned with him. Trust him and obey him. Struggling with God, here's my takeaway. Struggling with God is normal. This is how you grow. This is how you grow in your faith. So go back to his promises and believe them and act on them. And when we do, God gives us the joy, even though everything around us may not be filled with joy. Father, we pray that you would take these words and just let them ring true in our hearts. Because we do struggle, not just with this world, but we, we struggle with you sometimes, your ways. Help us to believe with all our hearts that everything you do is good for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.